This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. On this episode of Ice Analytics, I'm going to be digging into the face-off numbers on the individual level. Where are centers deployed? How effective are they? How much does it matter? I'm going to be joined by Dan Silver from the Getting Bullied podcast. We're going to be talking about the Flyers, a team that has been dominant in the face-off dot the past three years. Welcome to episode 12 of Ice Analytics. I am your host, Matthew Arp. I'm going to be building on last week's discussion of zone starts and face-offs, but changing the level of analysis from a team level to an individual level. As you know, some of the team stats may be a little misleading, and certain centers are definitely carrying their teams in the face-off dot. So I, I want to cut through some of this and look at individual players, individual centers. And on this week's number crunch, I'm, I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to be looking at the deployment of centers. Where are they deployed? Offensive zone, defensive zone, all zones, limited deployment. How have they performed in the faceoff dot? And how much does winning the faceoff actually matter when we look at either goals for and possession metrics? On this week's Stat Chat, I'm going to be having a great conversation with Dan Silver from the Getting Bullied podcast covering the Philadelphia Flyers. I'm very excited to get his insight into the Flyers. They've been such an anomaly in the face-off dot the past few seasons. Before we jump into this week's number crunch, I just want to remind everyone about the contest going on with our partners at Tankathon and Cool Hockey. Be sure to check out the Twitter feed at Ice Analytics for more details and how to enter. The gist of it is, go to Tankathon, create a 15-team simulation of your lottery order, screenshot it, submit it. If you're right, you can win a $200 gift card from Cool Hockey. The deadline is now April 8th. It's been extended to allow you a couple extra days between the end of the season and the actual draft lottery. So be sure to take advantage of that. No obligation, no gimmicks. Just enter to win a $200 gift card. On this edition of Number Crunch, I'm going to be diving even deeper into the face-off numbers from last week's podcast. I'm going to be breaking down the defensive and offensive deployment of centers and asking the question, who gets deployed where? Also, I'm going to be looking at the most effective centers, the relationship between face-off percentage and goals for and Fenwick for, and the relationship between deployment and goals for Fenwick for. This data is all courtesy of Natural Stat Trick and looks at the past three seasons from the 2016 season to last year. Just a reminder, you can find the show notes and all these visualizations that I'm going to be talking about on the website, www.statsenforcer.com. All right, so let's get into deployment itself. We know that coaches have a lot of flexibility when it comes to taking advantage of key matchups and deploying a strong center in particular situations. Now, there's really four different categories that we see of centers. Those that are deployed in all situations, those that are deployed in defensive situations, those that are deployed in offensive situations, and those that are just not deployed very often at all. Over the past three years, we've seen a few players that have been deployed in all types of situations. And this includes guys like Bo Horvat, Ryan O'Reilly, Alexander Barkov, Tyler Sagan, Boone Jenner, Sean Couturier, Kopitar, 
people that you would mostly expect. Uh, Boone Jenner is a bit of a surprise. Players that we've seen deployed in offensive situations almost exclusively, or at least skewed in that direction. Mike Ribeiro, Elias Pedersen, Genny Malkin, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Players that we've seen with a defensive zone specialty. Johan Larsson, Jay Beagle, Vern Fiddler. And guys who have just been sheltered with their opportunities, Nick Patan, Michael Haley, guys you probably haven't really heard of because uh, there's a reason why they, uh, they're they getting limited minutes. Speaking of guys that are effective at their jobs, I don't know if you realize this, I don't know if I realize this, but at 5v5 in the past three years, the center that has been the most effective, Anton Vermette. Went in 61% of his faceoffs and taking nine per game on average. That's not too bad. That's an above average number per game and well above average uh, in, in the percentage, considering the average percent is about 49% for guys who take a minimum of one faceoff per game over the past three seasons. Other names that you will see at the top of the list. Bergeron, 59.5%. O'Reilly, 58.5%. Taves, 56%. Kopitar, 54%. Um, You know, Ryan Kessler's been pretty good. Hansel's been pretty good. Jay Beagle's been pretty good at 58%. So these are the most effective players at the face-off. The player with the most face-offs taken, Sidney Crosby, he's getting over 16 and a half per game you know the next highest is under 15 it's about 15 and a quarter so he's averaging one and a half more face-offs per game at even strength and not bad 51.4 percent a couple points above average you know with, with the volume he's taken though there are a few guys though that stand out that are getting a lot of face-offs per game and have not been that good at it schmaltz He's getting above average. He's getting about eight a game. He's only averaging 37% on faceoffs. Pedersen averaging almost 10 a game, 41% on faceoffs. How about Kuznetsov, who's averaging 13.5 per game, only 42% on faceoffs? Another guy, 42%, averaging about 14 a game, Jack Eichel. Malkin. How about Nathan McKinnon, averaging 44% in the dot? And he's getting 14 a game. So yeah, I those guys are are getting the faceoffs, but they're not uh, they're not doing so great at it. Which brings us to the real question: How much does winning the faceoff actually matter over the course of the season? So what I did was I, I looked at faceoff percentage of of all these players in the past three years, and then goals four percent and Fenwick four percent. And what is this telling us? Not much. To be totally honest with you, folks. It's a little bit of a disappointment. The relationship between face-off percentage and goals for is almost non-existent. We're talking 1% of the variability in goals for is explained by the face-off. What about Fenwick for? 2%. A 2% of all the variation in Fenwick for can be explained by face-off percentages. Came as a bit of a surprise, honestly, to see how little the face-off percentage really matters for both Fenwick and goals for. Does that mean that face-off doesn't matter at all? Well, just like last week, deployment is key. 
because offensive zone faceoffs matter a hell of a lot more than defensive zone faceoffs when it comes to goals for and Fenwick for. What we find significant is just being deployed in the offensive zone faceoff in the first place is actually highly statistically significant with goals for and Fenwick for. So it doesn't matter if you win or not. Just being on the ice in the offensive zone for a faceoff is extremely significant in both of these things. Winning the faceoff at 5v5 is a bit overrated. But you know what isn't overrated? Just being in the offensive zone, starting the play in the offensive zone is so important. So much can happen after the puck gets dropped, even if you lose the initial faceoff. Just being in the offensive zone after a stoppage has immense value. And it also calls into question the symbiotic relationship that's going on here because coaches will deploy more skilled players in the offensive zone. It may not be causally that being deployed in the offensive zone increases your goals for and Fenwick for, but your goals for and Fenwick for are increased because you're a good player. And that's why you get deployed in the offensive zone in the first place. So I want to look at a few guys who are good players but are not getting deployed in offensive zone situations. Well, how about Andrew Kopp, Kiro, Sorelli, Gaudreau? Those four players have demonstrated a lot of success but cannot get deployed in the offensive zone to save their life. I don't know what they did to the coach. Now, what about players that are getting deployed in the offensive zone and haven't taken advantage of their deployment? Well, maybe someone should have let the Penguins know before they trade for him, but uh, Galchanyuk, great example. He's getting five offensive zone faceoffs per game. Almost his entire faceoff total the past three years has been in the offensive zone. Yet his goals for 42%. His Fenwick for 48%. How about Matt Duchesne? How about Trocheck or Colin White? These guys are getting a lot of offensive zone deployment, but are not having the kind of success that their counterparts are having. Just a few names to keep an eye on. I'm looking forward to getting into this with my guests to talk about deployment and uh, the face-off. On this edition of Stat Chat, I'm joined by Dan Silver from the Getting Bullied podcast. You can find Dan on Twitter at dsilver88 and the show at underscore getting bullied. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Matthew. I'm happy to be here, man. Looking forward to talking some puck. Absolutely. Well, I'm really glad to have you. You know, the Metro has been really competitive this year. Every team feels like they're alive going down to the uh, playoff stretch. And uh, the, for the Flyers specifically, you know, first place is a very real possibility. How are you feeling about the performance of the team so far? And what are your expectations uh, once you make the playoffs? I mean, I think all Flyers fans right now are like, start the playoffs today. Because this team is playing such good hockey right now, and they're playing playoff hockey too. I mean, they've just they're they're winning with a relentless forecheck with four lines that they're rotating pretty evenly, with three really good defensive pairings, with a couple goaltenders that look really good. It's just a total team game, and they they've won eight games in a row, and they look they look unstoppable right now. And this has been a pattern with the Alain Vigneault teams in their first year. I mean, it seems like 
you know, with Montreal, with Vancouver, with the Rangers, all of those teams had a, had a great deal of success the first year that Vino was there. And it really started the second half of the season when they started buying into his systems. And former GM Ron Hextall really did a great job through the draft of, of creating a lot of depth among all three groups, forwards, defensemen, and goaltenders. And this team doesn't have a superstar per se, but they've just got such solid depth and talent throughout the lineup that they're very difficult to play against right now. And you watch them and, you know, against the Hurricanes, they was a back-to-back, and you'd think that the Canes would come out with a lot of jump, and the Flyers just dominated the game. And they that's just the way they've been playing the last month. I mean, they've gone into Washington and beat the Capitals twice by, like, a combined score of 11-5 to five or something like that. I mean, they're just – they, they're very dominant right now, and I don't think any teams in the NHL want to play them in the playoffs. Do you think they peaked a little bit too early, or do you think they're going to be able to carry this momentum through to the playoffs? You know, they're, they're a really good hockey team, and they're on the way up. They've got a lot of really good young players. They've got a lot of good veterans, too. But I don't, I don't – I wouldn't say that they're peaking too early. I mean, certainly hockey's a game of streaks, and so – Maybe they'll hit a little bit of a rough spot in this, the final dozen or so games of the season. But the way that they've been able to kind of dole out the minutes among all the players, if you look at it, Elaine Vino has really cut down on the ice time recently of Drew, of Couturier, of even Ivan Provorov. Like those guys, Provorov, instead of playing 26 minutes a game, he's playing 22 minutes a game. Couturier, instead of playing 21 minutes a game, he's playing 17 minutes a game. Like he's doing a really good job of keeping these guys fresh and so you know I I think that when these when this Flyers team gets in playoff series I think that they're going to wear down the opponents and I I would not say that they're peaking too early. So what are your expectations uh, when when because I mean it looks like it's a foregone conclusion at this point that they're going to make the playoffs the seeding's going to matter a lot but are you thinking Stanley Cup or do you think that uh, you might be a year too early for that? You know, going into this season, I thought my outlook on this year was that I wanted the Flyers to make the playoffs, get some experience, and I really felt that next year, the 2020-2021 season was the one where I was going to go all in and bet them to win the Cup. Um, I didn't feel that way about this season, but right now, I'm pretty confident in this team. It's, It's the NHL, right? So it's like, I wouldn't be surprised if the Lightning win the Cup or the Bruins win the Cup or the Blues win or the Knights or the Flyers. So it's hockey such a game of luck and of bounces that really anything can happen. And if the Flyers don't win the division, they probably end up playing the Pens or the Caps in the first round. That's a tough series. And it, I still think this season will be a success for the Flyers, even if, let's say, they lose in a hard-fought seven-game series in the first round, just because the division is so tough. But the way they're playing right now, I think the expectation – is that the Flyers are going to win at least one or two series. And, you know, and then anything can happen. But I'm not so naive to say, hey, this team's going to win Stanley Cup because no one can really say that because there's so much luck involved uh, in, a, in a playoff series in the NHL. But I'm confident going in with this team against any other team in the league right now. Well, one of the things that the Flyers don't have to rely on luck for is face-offs because no team in the NHL has more face-off wins than the Flyers this season. And this isn't just an anomaly this year. Over the last three seasons, 
the Flyers have three top six seasons in faceoff percentage, including the top two in faceoff differential. Could you shed some light on how are they so dominant in the faceoff dot? I think it all starts with Claude Giroux. He's the captain of the team. He's been the captain of the team for a number of years. He'll probably end his career as a Philadelphia Flyer. And to a man, um, Charlie O'Connor with The Athletic did a poll of the Flyers players. And one of the questions was, like, who works the hardest in practice? And every single player answered Claude Giroux. And I think that he's a guy who's been very good in faceoffs for a long time. And when you've got that player as your top line center for the past number of years, now he's playing on the wing. But I guarantee you that Sean Couturier learned a lot from Claude Giroux. I guarantee you that Scott Lawton learned a lot from Claude Giroux. And then you add in at the trade deadline, Nate Thompson, who's 55% on faceoffs, and uh, Derek Grant, who's 52% on faceoffs. And you're looking at a team now that's got Claude Giroux at 60%, Sean Couturier at 60%, Thompson at 55%, Lawton at 54%, Grant at 52%, and Hayes is the worst face-off guy in the Flyers at 50%. So this team, they just, they've got a lot of guys who are really good at face-offs, and I think a lot of it starts with Claude Giroux. You mentioned the two people that uh, I wanted to, to bring up next. Both Giroux and Couturier are top eight in the league in face-off differential, and they've, like you said, they've both been exceptional this year. But Couturier, if we go back a couple of years to 2017, 2018, he was above average, but... The last two seasons, Couturier has taken his face-off game to another level. Um, what Have you seen him do anything differently the past two seasons that can explain his improvement over three years ago? I think a lot of it with Couturier is just continued. I mean, he's still a pretty young player. I think he's like 26 years old. I think it's just age and experience. And just like you mentioned, a couple in 2017, 20, 2018, he was 53% on face-offs. Last year, he was 57%. This year, he's 59%. I mean, one of the advantages is probably that Giroux and Couturier play on the same line now. So they can basically pick and choose which guy takes the faceoff. So Couturier will take the faceoffs on his strong side and Giroux will take the faceoffs on his strong side. So I think that that helps to inflate the percentages when you can basically have two great faceoff guys on the ice at the same time. And one of them takes the faceoffs on one side of the ice and the other one takes the faceoffs on the other side of the ice. So I think that's been a big deal. But Sean Couturier, if you asked me who the MVP of the Flyers was right now, it's Couturier and it's not even close. Like probably Ivan Provorov is the second most valuable player on the Flyers and he's a number one defenseman. But Sean Couturier, that guy, man, he came into the league. He made the Flyers as an 18-year-old and they used him kind of like as a shutdown center. There was a playoff series where he did a great job against Evgeny Malkin. I think it was like 2011, 2012. Uh, just totally shut him down. The Flyers won the series. Couturier scored a hat-trick in that series. But it took him a while to find his offensive footing. But the last two seasons, I think he's cleared 30 goals and 75 points. And he has just become a monster. I mean, he's a guy who he should win the Selkie Trophy. Like, he is the best defensive center in the game right now. He's great offensively. He's so valuable to this Flyers team because he can just go out there and look, he shut down Nathan McKinnon this year. He shut down uh, the Bergeron line in Boston. Like he's just, his impact on this team cannot be overstated. And he's a guy that doesn't really get enough credit around the league, but Sean Couturier is a monster. You took the words right out of my mouth because I've always seen Couturier as a consummate two-way player 
and he contributes in so many ways that eludes the box score. I've always been a big fan of his. I always feel like he's underrated as a player. And you mentioned the Selkie, and I'm curious, uh, your thoughts. What does he need to do to finally win the Selkie other than, like, wait for Bergeron to retire? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of these awards just seem like they're reputation-based, right? And so it's it's who's the flavor of the year. And Bergeron is always up there. Alexander Barkov, people love. Um, Mark Stone, Ryan O'Reilly. These guys are all really good defensive players. But Couturier absolutely deserves to win it one of these years. And it seems to me like the better that a team does in the regular season and the more offense that one of those guys puts up, the – the more attention they get for the Selkie, it seems a little bit crazy that, you know, you need to put up good offense to win the Selkie, but that that's just the reality. So I, I do think, I think one of these years, Couturier is going to get it. And it seems like the Flyers, the Flyers never get much attention in the national media. And I think it's because they don't have like a, a big name player. They don't have an Austin Matthews. They don't have a Connor McDavid. Um, you know, they don't have a, a line like Bergeron, Marshawn and Pasternak. They don't have an Ovechkin. They don't have a Crosby or Malkin. But it seems like the past few weeks, people are finally starting to pay attention to this team now that they're um, tied for first in the division at the, at, at the time of recording. And so I think that uh, – I think Couturier, he might win it this year. You know, I, I think that uh, he's, he's getting a lot more attention now. The thing I love about the way the Flyers are constructed is that they are greater than the sum of their parts. You know, and like you said, they don't have, like, that number one guy. But I think that that's uh, – you know that it helps in some regards because you're not relying on one person the entire time I think they're they're well balanced and that's that's definitely a good sign for a a long playoff run yeah I mean the way that this team was built by Ron Hextall through the draft was from goaltending out right basically every year for five years in a row he drafted a goalie or two in the draft he drafted a number of defensemen in the first round Ivan Provorov Travis Sanheim um, they signed Phil Myers as a undrafted free agent, which is like a ridiculous find for them. And if you look at this team, like they, they've got the goaltender now in Carter Hart. He's 21 years old. He'll be here for the foreseeable future. He's a very good goalie. Is he a, is he a superstar? I'm not sure, but I think that Carter Hart can be, you know, 95% of the players carry price. Uh, is and I think that that's good enough to win a cup if the rest of your team plays well. And then from a defense perspective, getting Matt Niskanen in the offseason for Radko Kudas was huge because Niskanen has been a really calming influence on the defense. Him and Ivan Provorov have been a terrific top pairing. And one of the most underrated parts of this team is their second defense pairing of Travis Sanheim and Phil Myers. Those guys have just matured and grown up before everyone's eyes this year. And not many people around the league know of them but Travis Sanheim is literally the best skater on the Flyers and Phil Myers is a freak like I compare him to Clark Kent Superman he's absolutely (laughs) jacked and he's a he's a phenomenal athlete and those two guys is the second pairing have been great Sanheim's got eight goals and Myers literally you can see really fast skaters get a couple steps behind Myers and he will catch them in three strides he's basically those two guys are like gazelles on the ice and not a lot of people know about them, but they're two of the better young defensemen in the league, in my opinion. And then you've got a third defense pairing with Justin Braun and Robert Haig, and they're very good defensively. They block shots. And so when you've got a a really good goaltender 
you've got three defense pairings like that, and then you can roll four lines. Because the fourth line, even right now, with Nate Thompson, Nicholas Abbe, Kubel, and Michael Roffel, that line's been great. You've got Scott Lawton on the third line. He's got like 10 points in the last five games. They're just This team has literally no weaknesses right now. They don't have – Couturier, I'm, we could consider him, you know, a superstar. He's very good. But they don't have a marquee name. But what they – what they do have is they, they don't have any weaknesses right now. And I, I think that that's going to be important in long playoff series. Absolutely, man. I couldn't agree more. Well, uh, as I do with all my guests, I want to give you uh, an opportunity to uh, have the floor for a second. And if there's anything you want to plug or any projects you're working on or any shout outs, the floor is yours. No, man. I just, you know, throw me a follow at D silver 88. There's a lot of flyers content there. And, um, and uh, yeah, I've got the at Getting Bully podcast. Me and my co-host Mark Giannone do that show. So uh, give us a listen. And uh, yeah, just I'm just excited to enjoy the rest of the season. And I really appreciate you having me on, Matthew. Well, thank you very much for coming on. And uh, I, for better or worse, I mean, it's almost the end of the regular season, but the real season is going to be starting off here in about a month. There's nothing like playoff hockey. You're absolutely right. Thank you again for coming on, and I appreciate your thoughts on on uh, the Flyers and faceoffs. Thank you. All right, let's bring this thing up to date and look at the current season as of this week. Winning the faceoff this year is significant when compared to some of the decade data we looked at on Number Crunch. If we look at the best faceoff teams at even strength, Philly, Vancouver, Toronto, Nashville, and Dallas, those are the top five teams in faceoff percentage at even strength. But they're all middle of the pack in terms of possession, and with the exception of Philadelphia, They're middle of the pack in terms of goals for percentage, which is your team's goals divided by the total number of goals scored. So even though the best face-off teams aren't the best goal scoring or possession teams, there is a major upside to being good at face-offs. If we look at the aggregate of all teams this season, I find that it is not only statistically significant, but increasing your face-off percentage by a single percentage point will on average increase your Corsi 4 by 0.42%, your Fenwick 4 by 0.37%, and your goals 4 percentage by 0.6%. In other words, Philadelphia may be a major outlier in that the relationship isn't as fruitful as we would expect from them. And another outlier being Colorado, who is actually leading the league in goals 4 percentage, but is below 50% in the faceoff dot. But the big picture, aside from those couple of outliers, it really does matter in terms of your possession and especially your goals for. Let's switch gears here for a second and look at some of the players that are being overutilized and underutilized in the offensive zone this year. Now note, as I mentioned before, it's not so much about winning the faceoff, but being deployed in the offensive zone that has a strong relationship with goals for and possession statistics. There's a couple of names that stood out this season that have had limited offensive deployment and have shown positive results. Travis Boyd from the Caps has a 75% goals for percent. That means 75% of the total goals scored while he is on the ice is scored by his team. So for every four goals, three of them, when he's on the ice, are coming from the Caps. That's nuts. And he's only getting three offensive zone face-offs per game. I think that, suffice to say... He's taking full advantage of his deployment. And even though he's being deployed a lot in the offensive zone, he's killing a lot of time. 
and generating some offense. Another person is Kuhlman from Boston who is averaging 66% goals for. So for every three goals that are being scored, his team's scoring two while he's on the ice. And he's only getting 4.8 offensive zone faceoffs per game. Now on the other hand, Sam Reinhart from the Sabres has taken the fifth most offensive zone faceoff starts, but is only averaging 47.5% goals for. It's not great. Sean Monahan from Calgary is getting 6.5 offensive zone faceoff starts per game, and he's 46.5 goals for percent. So I'm not too sure what's going on with those two. Even though they've been deployed in the offensive zone, it hasn't translated to more goal scoring when they're on the ice. Now, if we look at possession, and let's just look at the Fenwick 4%. Philip Deneau is second in the league, 59% Fenwick 4, and is only deployed 4.7 times per game in the offensive zone. Nicholas Waugh of the Golden Knights is first in the league, over 59%, and he's only getting four offensive zone faceoff starts per game. It'd be nice to see if Deneau and Waugh could get some more offensive time. Early indications by looking at this small sample size is that they're going to take full advantage of their deployment, and it would be nice to see them get a little bit more time in the offensive zone. That's a wrap on this week's episode on faceoffs, but I want to encourage you to tune in next week because I'm going to be diving into something I haven't really talked about a whole lot this season, GAR. My favorite statistic, goals above replacement. I mentioned it during the trade deadline episode as a tool for player evaluation, but you really want to tune in next week when I break it all down for you. And someone very familiar with this metric is going to be joining me on the stat chat, the creator of all the player cards I referenced on that same episode, Mr. Jay Fresh. We're going to be talking about player cards. We're going to be talking about data. It'll be a good one. And remember, folks, drink and think responsibly. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Ice Analytics, your source for NHL stats and analysis hosted by the Hockey Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere. You can find me on Twitter at Ice Analytics, and you can find the show notes at www.statsenforcer.com. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to our feed and leave us a review.